We're reading today from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Soon afterwards he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Hello, welcome to you. My name is Rupert Charkham. I'm the Vicar of St Michael's Chester Square, and I'm very pleased to have the opportunity of talking to you today. We're continuing the sermon series entitled How to Build Resilience During Testing Times. I'm going to begin with a wonderful quotation. It's a message written from Bishop Cyprian, writing in the third century to his friend Donatus. You might have heard this before. I love reading it because whenever I do it inspires me and it cheers me up. So I couldn't resist starting the sermon with this quote. And surely it illustrates how possible it is to have joy even in the middle of struggle. So this is what he writes. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, well, you know very well what I would see. Brigands on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheatres, people murdered to please the applauding, applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery, selfishness. So actually, it's really a bad world, Anatus, an incredibly bad world. And yet, in the middle of it, I've found a quiet and holy people, and they've discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They're despised and persecuted, but they cannot. They've overcome the world, these people. Donatus, they're the Christians, and I am one of them. I love that, it's fantastic, to think that we can discover joy in the middle of trial. And strength and resilience can result. And I'm going to share with you a most unexpected source of strength. I'm pretty sure that if I gave you the opportunity, in fact, you could do this. You could just press the pause button right now and you could make a list of things that you think, habits in your life that will release joy and increase resilience. And I wonder how many of us would guess what the topic is and it would be on your list. I wonder. I don't know if you've done that, but I have to let you know what the topic is eventually. And the topic is generosity. Now I'll let you into a little trade secret. I've been a preacher for many years now. There are a few topics which are guaranteed to send the congregation into what I call the brace position and to make them flinch. Evangelism is one of those and giving is one of those. Well, perhaps the good news from your perspective might be I'm not talking on evangelism. And the second piece of good news is I'm talking to a camera and you're watching a screen. So you can adopt any position you like. You can adopt that brace position that I've seen many a congregation go into and no one else will know apart from those who are in the room. I can't see you, you can do what you like. But my hope is this, that you won't, 
you won't you won't cross everything your eyes your legs uh, your teeth but instead we'll let Jesus speak into our lives because that's where freedom is that's where joy is that's where resilience is to be found is it not and here's the thing when we consider Jesus's teaching about generosity and we're not just talking about money here we're talking about being generous with our time being generous with ourselves being generous with our attention then we discover this to give is to live it's as simple as that but the reason I'm talking about this topic today is because I think when we're under pressure and who isn't right now it's so easy to do the opposite and to close in on ourselves to sort of batten down the hatches and wait for the storm to pass to go into our shell I think that would be a natural reaction anyway but lockdown and being locked in only makes it easier to retreat like that and that's not going to bring joy to us at all we have to find a way of resourcing ourselves and strengthening ourselves and here's a paradox when we resource others we resource ourselves and that's one of the themes that's going to come through so far from uh, resisting the idea of becoming a generous person I, I want to remind us that intrinsically actually generosity is extraordinarily attractive is it not I mean have, have you ever heard a conversation that goes like this oh I, I think you need to keep away from Lucy she, she's just far 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 too generous it, you don't want to hang around her or people like her or Richard oh he's far too generous far too generous I don't like him because he's too generous it's evidently that that'd be a bonkers conversation to have because we love generous people we love being near generous people because there's something attractive about their lifestyle and about them but I have heard conversations about others so you don't want to be near Fred he's he's so mean that that's the opposite isn't it so let's have a look beneath the surface and I think we discover something that stand out that generosity and Jesus go together in his lifetime Jesus is generosity personified I think if you write nothing else down in this talk or you choose to remember nothing else remember that in his lifetime Jesus is generosity personified generosity and giving are absolutely key to God's DNA it's, it's their hallmark their mark of authenticity and it's stamped all over Jesus's life Jesus's birth was a gift his birthmark was generosity don't you remember that famous verse John 3 16 God so loved the world that he did what that he gave God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life and the motto hanging over Jesus' own ministry was this freely you've received so freely give 
And thinking about that was so true. He didn't charge for anything that he did, did he? He didn't make a penny out of it. He didn't charge or make any money out of all those healings. He didn't charge and didn't make any money out of turning water into wine. He didn't charge for the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't charge when he fed 5,000 people. Generosity was on his death certificate, wasn't it? As well as his birth certificate. Cause of death? Well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Stamped on his hands and his feet and his side are the hallmarks of a crucifixion. The good shepherd laid down his life, gave his life for the sheep. So every one of us who follows him banks on his generosity. We know. We know there's no other motivation for him to reach out to us. We don't deserve such kindness, such forgiveness, such blessing. But it's a gift. In fact, here's a challenge for you. Looking at the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, I challenge you to find a single page in which Jesus is mentioned without there being an example of his generosity on that very page. And not only is Jesus' generosity personified, which is a wonderful thing to meditate on, but he inspires generosity. He generates generosity in his followers, both those followers in his lifetime and his followers after the resurrection in the book of Acts. We can so easily think of examples, can't we? The wise men from the East who brought those strange gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh, gifts. We read in the reading, Luke chapter 8, that when Jesus was on his travels, he was, he was accompanied by the twelve and some women who were cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, who was the wife of a manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. And then these women helped to support them, that's the twelve and Jesus, from out of their means. They bankrolled his ministry. They were generous. He was lent an upper room to celebrate the Passover. He was lent a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And at his death, he was lent a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. And it wasn't just them either. There are so many other people we could mention, but I won't. Except for, I'm thinking of the woman in Luke 7, who gave that expensive perfume. Now, such generosity of this went hand in hand with the early church too, didn't it? Barnabas, do you remember? He sold a field and gave him money to the, to the disciples. And that whenever we have a cameo glimpse of what that community was like, Acts 2, 42 to 47, at the heart of all that was amazing generosity. They opened their homes. They shared their food. They shared their money. They shared their time. They shared their prayers. It was awesome generosity. And what happened to the church, which was being so persecuted in these times? Well, it was resourced. It was strengthened. It went from strength to strength. Why? Why did this happen? What, was it just natural, normal, average to be so generous? No, I don't think so. Were they generous because they could afford to be generous or life was so easygoing they, they wouldn't miss what they gave? Well, we know that was not the case. 
because Paul's pin-up church for generosity is described in his second letter to the Corinthians. And he says, out of their extreme poverty, they gave because they loved so much and they had the grace of giving. The Holy Spirit enabled it. And here's a lovely fact. I'm convinced that if we hang around Jesus, and in fact, if we hang around God's family, his authentic family, we're bound to flower into more generous people. I don't see how this can fail to happen because Jesus himself enables generosity. And here are some reasons. Let's assume for a moment, and I'm going to assume this for a moment, that you and I want to become more generous because we can see that it, it's a much more healthy lifestyle and we can see it's a Jesus lifestyle. So let's assume for a moment we want to become more generous. We're not kicking against it. We're not resisting it. How's it going to happen? What will release it? Well, at the heart of it will be this. We'll want to be generous to Jesus as an expression of our worship and adoration for him. Now, this is a point that it's almost impossible to make to unbelievers. I, I don't think they can get on the same page. I don't think they can be expected to understand it or to get it. But for those of us who have caught a glimpse of Jesus as he really is, we begin to realize that the right thing to do and the real thing that we want to do is to offer him everything that we are and everything that we have, everything that's most precious, because he is worth it. That's our worship. Do you remember the incident that's recorded for us of Jesus watching people put their money into the temple offerings when a widow puts in two tiny, tiny coins? And really, what they amounted to was piffling, tiny. But Jesus is enormously impressed and points out her phenomenal generosity because proportionately it was all she had and she gave it in adoration and worship. And incidentally, just in, in passing, if this is at the heart of our desire to be generous, and I think it is, then with every reason to be confident that even during a time of lockdown, even during a time when churches are closing their doors because they have to, of safety reasons, that the giving of a congregation will not dip. Because there's a difference between tipping and tithing. Tipping is what you do when you give in proportion to the service you've received. And if you're tipping your church, yes, you could say, well, it's closed, I'm not receiving anything from it. Uh, I, I'm simply not going to give. But tithing is what we do when we give a proportion of what we've been given to steward back to the Lord because of who he is and what he's like. And that's got absolutely nothing to do with the quality or your enjoyment or otherwise of a service in any particular church. God is always worthy of our worship. We, we're not tipping him, we're tithing to him. And we're giving, really, as an appreciation of not just who he is, but what we've received. Zacchaeus gave masses because he realized salvation had come to his house. Nicodemus, uh, who gave up his reputation to go and collect the body of Jesus in order to anoint it 
with a mixture of myrrh and aloes after his Jesus's crucifixion did so from an appreciation of what God had done for him but there's another reason too and this is so so much to be treasured I think it's in the DNA of the Holy Spirit that we should become generous in fact I'm pretty convinced I don't see how you could be full of the Holy Spirit of God and be mean you couldn't that's how the early church was so generous was it because they were so wealthy they had excess money to splatter around well obviously that's nonsense not a chance we know that wasn't the case and actually right around the world today you can go to some of the very poorest countries in the world and spend time amongst the Christians there and you will find enormous joy and fantastic generosity such a paradox and actually many a person's done that and come back and said how is it possible that we can have so much and be so miserable but it is and how can it be possible that we're so uh, not generous I don't know because when the spirit captivates your heart it seems to me we're bound to flower and be generous so the spirit seems to free us from the need to hang on tight to our possessions for dear life because that isn't where life is a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions said Jesus and I'm going to conclude with this rather strange point. This, this, is, this is a twist in Jesus' teaching. In God's economy, the more we give, the more we live, and the greater the fruit. And somehow he works it out that the more that we give, the more he entrusts us to give even more. And Paul describes this process in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 11. I'm going to say in parenthesis, this is not the prosperity gospel. It's not give things that you have so that you get more in your bank balance and, and you can retire early. No, that's not actually what the scriptures say. But let me read you what they do say. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And now that bit so far very, very straightforward. It's like if you've got a bunch of grass seed in your pocket and you spread it out on some earth, obviously the more seed you scatter, the more chance you've got of seeing more grass. Yeah, easy. But now pay attention as we go on. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that's important too. He's saying it's not arm twisting that's going to get this out, out of you. It's a, it's a generous heart. And if you can't give cheerfully, keep your hands in your pockets. Because God loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant, gritted teeth giver. And let's continue, verse 8. And God's able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And I found that to be true. In every congregation that I've pastored, so many people have come to me and said you know what 
I took the risk of banking on God's faithfulness and he's multiplied what I've done. And their joy has gone up exponentially. And then remember, let me emphasize, I'm not just talking about pound shillings and pence. I'm talking, especially in this lockdown time, of risking giving ourselves to other people, of risking ringing someone up and saying, how are you? I just wanted to chat, make sure you're okay and keep in touch with you. Or sending them an email of appreciation or giving someone that extra five minutes of your time and your dedicated attention could make all the difference. And just refusing, refusing to look down in lockdown. We're gonna look out, we're gonna look out for one another and we're gonna go on expressing our devotion to Christ. And that way, that way, we will be strengthened and resourced. I, I want to end with a little anecdote because it makes me smile. And it's a true story, as a matter of fact, not so very long ago, there was a, a trader in the city and I believe that he did quite well. And he died because it happens to us all. And his Thanksgiving service was held at the church, the great church of St. Helens Bishopsgate. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow the service sheet went out with a misprint on it. It had been proofread by the printers. It had been proofread by many others. But he picked the hymn that we're about to sing in closing the service, Guide Me, O My Great Redeemer. And as you might know, one of the verses in that hymn goes, When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. But the misprint was this. It said, Death of death and hell's destruction, land my safe on Canaan's side. Friends, that is never going to happen. That is never going to happen. Nothing that you and I possess is going on the other side. But when we stand before the living God, if we've been generous, I don't think any of us are going to regret it. Do you think those women who bankrolled Jesus regretted it when they stood in front of him at the resurrection? I'm sure they didn't. Do you think Joseph of Arimathea regretted his generosity? I'm sure he didn't. Do you think Barnabas, who gave that field, regretted his generosity? Of course he didn't. And as I say, it's not just money, it's time. Do you think those who opened their homes to Jesus regretted it? Of course they didn't. And nor will you, and nor will I. And in that hymn that we're about to sing, there's also a verse that begins, Open now the crystal fountain, whence a healing stream does flow. And I shall be singing that and praying that for myself, thinking about the fountain of life, the Holy Spirit, and saying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit that we can flower and flourish and reach out and bless and be resourced as we resource others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that it's your gift to give us joy in unlikely times and unlikely places. And even in this period when we're locked down and many of us locked in, come to us to free us up that we might reach out, continue to reach out and be generous in every way possible and let your joy flood in. Cause our hearts, our minds, our wills to want to be obedient. Open our eyes to see the quality of life that you have, Jesus.
and that you offer your friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.